Thank you for tuning in to the Maximum Advisor podcast. If you're a growth-minded financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice, you're in the right place. Your host, Chip Munn, brings tips and best practices based on his experiences and has guests from financial advisors to industry experts sharing wisdom with one another because we're better together. And now, Chip Munn. Welcome back to the Maximum Advisor. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I'm excited to be joined by Michael Kitsis. Michael's the publisher of the Nerd's Eye View blog, co-founder of the XY Planning Network, partner and director of wealth management at uh, Pinnacle Advisory Group, and also known as Mr. Blue Shirt. He's, if you don't know who Michael Kitsis is, uh, I don't know how you're listening to this podcast. Michael, welcome to the show. It's good to have you. Thank you, Chip. It's good to be here. Michael, one of the things that I find fascinating uh, about you, and, and there are several, but but one of them is how, really kind of how you came to be the Michael Kitsis from Michael Kitsis and, and how you ended up being somebody that most anybody in our business these days knows. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that happened and, and how you kind of evolved from where you began until now. It is fascinating just how these journeys play out in our in our lives. Uh, you know, I, I started in the business straight out of college, like truly graduated from college on Memorial Day weekend. So Saturday was graduation. Sunday, I packed everything I owned. Uh, Monday, I drove home on Memorial Day Monday. Tuesday morning, I reported for work in the financial service industry. I had no background in context. I was a psychology major, theater minor, pre-med student. And the only thing I really figured out by the end of college was that I did not want to do psychology, theater, or medicine. You know, God bless the New England liberal arts education. So prepared to think, but for nothing in particular, and just really landed fairly randomly in, in financial services through, a, through an introduction. You know, it sounded good. So I thought, what the heck, and, and, and dove in. Landed at what was sold to me as a opportunity to be a financial advisor. What I figured out after a month or two was an ability to, uh, an opportunity to sell life insurance. And I was not such a good life insurance salesperson. So that did not last terribly long, but I liked the industry and I liked the business enough that I wanted to stick around. And so that ultimately led to a journey of spending some time in an independent broker dealer environment, eventually landing in the independent RIA channel. And that's I'm still where I am today. You know, dumb luck. I mean, I didn't, I had no idea what was going on with industry trends and dynamics in the early 2000s when I was doing all these channel shifts. I, I was just looking for a gig where I could do financial planning stuff and I didn't have to go do the sales and prospecting stuff that I was really bad at in my 20s and landed somewhere that worked and God bless it. It turned out it worked really well. I got, I got lucky and landed in the right place. No doubt. Well, and but having gotten there, you know, one of the things that kind of our, our topic for today is creating content and, and how that can lead you to becoming known as, as a financial advisor as now, in, in your case, kind of expanding beyond that. And correct me if I'm wrong, your first kind of foray into content was your blog, Nerds Eye View. Is that right? Yeah, although it, it actually started a little bit before that in, in, in other channels. So you know, once I, well, so once I landed in an advisory firm where I could actually just focus on being an awesome financial player and doing planning and didn't need to go out and do business development and prospecting. And, and I kind of found my groove. What I started doing at that point was I like, I would get these complex client situations and I would study the heck out of them and analyze them and sort of nerd out on them a little. Cause I, I'm a bit of a nerd. So I like doing these things. And then I, I would just have this like, I don't know, this itch to scratch of, I just spent all this time like researching and analyzing this stuff. Like I, I want to share it with someone. I want to share this stuff I just figured out. And so what I started doing was submitting articles to industry trade publications. So Financial Planning Magazine and uh, a Bloomberg Wealth Manager, which was a, a big one back then that's actually not around anymore as, as a way to just share like, hey, I learned and figured out and found this thing. And and I'm going to share it out there with the rest of the world. Now, the problem when I was doing this back in the 2000s is that 
in the 2000s, uh, industry publications were still print first, digital seconds. Like the internet had showed up. We sort of knew it was out there. People read things on the internet. But media publications were still print publications first and foremost. You made the article in the magazine. And then you would take a copy of the article and you put it on your website for all those weird people who wanted to read it on the internet. And so the very quick and practical constraint that I hit is I was writing articles, trying to share my content. It's like, hey, I learned this thing. I think it would be helpful for others. I want to share it for others. But I had to fit the physical space limitation of a print magazine where you only get like so many column inches, which translates into so many words that they can cram in. Because, you know, you only get a page front and back of the magazine plus some graphics and the title that they got to put in. And, like, just it didn't fit very many words. And when I wanted to really nerd out on something, like, there just wasn't enough room. Like, I, I needed twice as much column length as what they were giving me in the magazine. And so I kept submitting these articles and they would chop them way, way down. I'd be like, well, you chopped it down so far. You made it the same bland, plain vanilla article that everybody else writes which is why I had to research this because all the other articles were too shallow. <laughs> so I had to analyze it to find out the real answers and I found the real answers, but you're now turning my article back into the same plain vanilla, no actual useful detail thing. And so going back and forth with this with frankly kind of a, a growing level of frustration, I said, look, like it's the internet age. There's no limit on column space on the internet. You, you just keep hitting page down. You can have a 100-page PDF if you want. It doesn't even cost you any more to produce because it's digital and we're not printing magazines. And so I just had this kind of, I was going to say epiphany, but that probably overstates it, just like this vision of, look, I just want to write the stuff I want to write because I know I'm, I'm figuring things out that not everybody else has either done or figured out or just doesn't spend the time on. I've got things to share. And I'm tired of being crammed into a physical magazine height width, column width in a, in a digital world. I'm just going to write on the internet where there's no limit on space. And that's really what, what launched it. So originally that actually wasn't even the blog. It was a newsletter service. So I would publish a newsletter once a month of like 10 to 12 pages of me totally nerding out on some deep topics. Like here's a write-up of the new tax law and like here's a retirement research study I did. And we would publish these newsletters once a month for a $150 a year subscription. And like that was the start of a content business for me, which back then was like really literally a content business. Like I was in the business of selling subscriptions and getting paid $150 a year for a subscription. And so that, that's what started. And, and the kids.com website, when I launched it, was just, if you're going to sell an e-newsletter, people have to go somewhere to buy it. <laughs> and so like, that was just, that was where you went to sign up and buy it. And I started doing some speaking at industry conferences as well. And I had this fairly simple, straightforward vision for a model. Like I would, I would speak and that would make people aware that I do this content where I could get paid for my content and get newsletter signups. And then I would publish newsletters, which would show my expertise and give me more opportunity to get speaking engagements. And I just figured I would get this kind of virtuous circle where speaking would promote newsletter and newsletter would promote speaking and I could build a business off of it. How would you say then that really getting involved and, and elbows deep in content has changed the trajectory of your career? Well, so it changed really dramatically. So the, there were sort of two or three turning points that that really came in the business. The, the first was after I did the newsletter for about two or three years, because I was writing about technical content for advisors, the kind of stuff you can get CE credit for, I was limited in what I could write because you can't get CE credit for practice management or industry trend stuff. Like it's got to be a core thing that fits the CFP board 72 topic list. And I felt like, like I was getting to a point where I, I, I felt like I had some other stuff to say about the industry and trends, but I couldn't put it in my newsletter because it wouldn't qualify for CE and need another place to put it. And so I started putting it on, on the blog. I said, like, this is going to be my commentary about what I see in industry trends and, and evolution. So I called it the nerd's eye view because I was the nerd and it was my view and perspective on stuff that was happening in our industry that wasn't just CE related. And the blog took off. 
you know, when we launched it originally, it was like, you know, uh, five people a day would show up and read it, which is probably like my mom and dad and two or three friends from the industry. And then a couple months later, it was like 10 to 20 people a day were showing up to read it. And then a couple of months after that, like 50 people a day were showing up to read it. And then by a year out, 100 a day were showing up to read it. And then the year after that, 1,000 a day were showing up to read it. And all of a sudden, the numbers were starting to get big. Like if you just literally imagine 1,000 people coming to your office, walking in the front door, taking the stuff that's on the, the, your front desk and saying like, oh, this looks really interesting. I'm going to take a copy of this with me. And a thousand people do that every day. Like that is a lot of people showing up on your doorstep. And what I found started happening was it was beginning to turn into business. So I was suddenly getting more speaking business, actually drastically more. My, my income from speaking literally more than tripled two years after I launched the blog and started putting content out there. Then our advisory firm started getting clients from it. Because even though I write pretty nerdy technical stuff for industry folks, like it's on the internet, anybody can find it. Consumers started finding it. You know, not everybody wants to read my nerdy technical stuff, just really smart, affluent people who understand it and have enough money at stake to want to take the time to read it. Otherwise known as, really good clients I love working with. <laughs> Imagine that. And so about two to three years into the blog, suddenly it was getting read all over the place. The traffic was growing exponentially every year. It was growing speaking business. It was growing clients for the firm. We had launched a recruiting business for advisors to help them hire para planners, associate planners. People start showing up for that business. And, and, I, and I had this realization of, wow, like this, this content stuff is actually suddenly powering like a whole bunch of different growth and business opportunities all at once. And there was sort of this strange, on a like eureka moment to me of, you know, the reason I joined my firm at that point about 10 years prior was that I really wanted to have a financial advisor opportunity where I didn't have to be primarily responsible for prospecting. Because just prospecting is not my thing. I'm an introvert. I would rather nerd out with the tax code than go to a networking meeting. And now all of a sudden I had fallen into this realm where I was doing a very large amount of business development, effectively prospecting for strangers, but I didn't have to go to networking meetings and do all the stuff that I didn't really like doing, wasn't very good at. I just got to nerd out on the things that I was excited to nerd out on. And lo and behold, business was showing up because we were putting out things that were useful to people. And when you're useful to people for a sustained period of time, they tend to want to do business with you. Sure. Again, we met via me listening to and reading a lot of your stuff and it becomes personal. You know, it's one of those things that the first time you and I spoke, I felt like I knew you. You didn't know me from Adam, but but I, I felt like I had known you for months, if not years, because I had been reading your thoughts. And it's a very personal thing, I think, to be able to do. One of the things I'm curious about is you've made it big. But for the average advisor, for somebody who's sitting in an office running a practice, I can see how content would be really intimidating. Do you think it's still viable? Where are we in the life cycle for content for the average advisor who wants to grow, but who's who doesn't have, yeah, hasn't built up a vast network already? So there's a few ways that I would answer this. First, just as kind of a, I don't know, a, 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 like a level setting exercise, don't look at where our blog is now to say, like, do I think I could do that? I am 11 years into compounding. Well, 11 years with the platform, nine years with the blog, because we, we formally launched the blog in the fall of 2010. You can't look at where I am now. You have to look at where I was then, because me starting then is someone else starting now. And like, what happened when we started? My readers were my mom, my dad, and three colleagues. Literally, yeah, we installed Google Analytics. You can see how many people come to your website. Like, it, 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 it was really only a few human beings per day uh, that were finding their way there. And it was all, all people I knew. So like everyone starts basically from zero. The fascinating thing really about anything you do from a marketing or investment perspective, right? Whether you're investing in your marketing and growth in your business or just investing dollars, the amazing thing is 
compounding works, right? It works with our dollars. We know what happens. Small regular savings from an early age compounds out to big numbers. Well, it turns out small steady content marketing from a a sustained for a period of time starts compounding out to crazy big numbers over time. You know, now like our growth in the past year was more than we had in the first six years cumulatively because that's how compounding works. Like at some point when the base gets big, like the the compounding in the out years are just unimaginably large numbers compared to where you started. But you don't look at that relative to the end point. You look at that relative to the starting point. You know, I think anyone has room to start and get started with it. Frankly, it's like anything else. The sooner you start the compounding process, the more time you have to compound it. But, you know, it's never too late to save for retirement. It's never too late to start a marketing process. The sooner you start planting the seeds, the sooner they start growing. When you said that about content compounding like investments, I made a note because I think that's a really powerful example. One of the issues that that I hear is folks who, and, and for example, for this podcast, I don't know how many people download, subscribe, listen. I made a commitment for... Uh, a year that I wasn't going to look because one of the things in my experience that advisors struggle with is if those numbers aren't big enough, fast enough, we quit. Because And I had a guest on who talked about execution, Brian Moran with the 12-week year. And he talked about the fact that oftentimes we end up looking at the plan and deciding to kind of get rid of the plan instead of evaluating whether or not we actually execute it. And so I see a lot of advisors, uh, or at least either the ones I've already talked to, or, or if, I were, if I weren't doing some of this myself now, you can look at those numbers and they aren't growing. And it's easy to, to just give up and decide you'd rather go do something different because you can, you can touch somebody, talk to somebody at a networking event and you feel like you did something. With this, it's kind of, it can be putting it out in the internet is a little bit like shouting into a, into a chasm. So how long, from your experience, how long would you suggest somebody plan on, commit to, if they're going to do some form of content, what should they plan for? So the short answer is you do it as long as it's growing and the numbers are moving up. Because that's the nature of compounding. You know, particularly in a, in a content world or a marketing world in general, you know, part of what makes the compounding work so well is the more people who see your stuff and share it with others, the more people who can then see it and share it with others. So content marketing in particular is one of those things that is really, really conducive to compounding growth. So here, like, here's the challenge that I find that crops up for advisors. So to some extent... Yeah, there is kind of an, I, I think there is an impatience issue. I, I mean, I get it. We all, we all have limitations on our patience. But truly, like people underappreciating how much compounding actually works. It's like, imagine a scenario like this. A typical advisor website probably gets like 50 to 100 people that come to the website every day. Clients, people surfing around. Some advisors, only a few hundred a month. But like, let's imagine we're small. Like we're 100 a month. We do this for a couple of months and a quarter later, we're up to 120 people a month. Not a single one of them has called me. You know, we do it another month and like it goes up to 140 and you're saying like, I'm still not feeling the phone ringing yet. I'm not sure about all this stuff. And I look at that and say like, so you went from 100 to 120 to 140 something. So you're compounding at 20% a quarter. So you know what happens if you compound at 20% a quarter for the next 10 years? You go from 100 people a day to 150,000. That's 20% compounding when you run it out for 10 years. But I've seen this for a lot of people like, oh my God, you are on the compounding path and you just bailed out before the snowball built up to a big size. So as I look at it, like, look, it's going to be hard to measure. And it's really, it's a version of what all of us learn when you start out in the business and you're doing anything that is marketing and business development. It sucks, but it's true. You can't measure the results in usually even the first year or two because they're too lumpy. You know, like I went to a zillion networking meetings. I haven't gotten a client yet. That doesn't mean networking meetings are bad. That means it takes a while to build a relationship and establish yourself in networking meetings so people will finally start referring you. You know, I'm doing calls, but they're not closing. Well, you know, they work worse than they used to. But like if you play the game of numbers, you will hit something eventually. 
You just have to measure the activity and not the results. And to me, that like the you know, it's been an old saw in our industry forever. That's well, that's what you have to do when you're starting a new marketing activity. And me, just it, the same thing is true here. Like, I, I, it's going to be lumpy on results early on. Like, heck, if I got one or two clients, that that that's a big number for a lot of for a lot of people. If it's a good client, so like I don't focus as much on the results because they're lumpy with everything we do early on. You could have long dry spells. You focus on the activity, and the activity is. Am I putting content out and are more people showing up than they used to? Because if those two things are true, the only thing you have to do at this point is wait for compounding to work. And if there's one thing I'm comfortable counting on, it's that compounding works and it makes big numbers in the long run. Yeah. And this is something that we teach people every day. And I think that you make a great point in, in really pegging that to something that we as advisors can understand. We teach it, we try to teach it to our, those of us who are parents, try to teach it to our children. The best time to start was yesterday, but you know, today it will, or 10 years ago, but today it'll do. I think that if we as advisors will think about the content process the same way, we encourage our clients to think about systematic investment. I think you, you nailed it. Yeah. Well, and it just reminds me, you know, like if you're talking to a 25-year-old that's like, I, I need a million dollars for retirement. Like, you know what you do to get a million dollars by retirement? You save 300 bucks a month for 40 years. Like, that's it. 300 bucks a month for 40 years at a moderate growth rate comes out to be a million dollars. Now, if you start down that road and you look at it after the first two years, you don't even have eight grand. <laughs> and two years for most people is a long time. So like, when you say to someone, hey, I got the perfect plan for you to be a millionaire when you're 65, just start saving $300 a month and someone gets two years in, they're like, you realize I'm not even at eight grand on my way to a million? This feels like a completely wasted strategy. And the answer is like, no, you're completely on track. You just have to let the compounding run. Keep doing your activity and let compounding do its thing because what actually happens, like, you know how you get a million dollars in 40 years? You get half a million dollars in 30 years, and then compounding does the last half million all by itself in the final decade. Right. Yeah, I, I was at, uh, I'm a member of Strategic Coach, and I was at one of our sessions, and, and I don't remember the exact way that they showed it, but it, it had to do with compounding and of effort, and they did it with a sheet of paper. And so for anybody who's listening, you can certainly do that, but you fold it in half, and then fold it in half, and then fold it in half. And I forget the number of times but it, it's, it's in the double digits. It's not a lot. That if you could fold a sheet of paper in half that many times, it would reach the moon. It's less than 100. Like, it, it's one of those things. You know, there were, uh, for anybody who's ever been to a 12-step meeting, uh, many of them say things like, don't leave until the miracle happens, right? It's the same with content or, or any kind of marketing, but it's, it's easy not to. And now, I'm, well, and to be fair, like, I'm not a fan of just, forever throwing time, effort, dollars, and energy at something that's just flat out not working. Like, I, I'm not trying to exhort anyone to say, you know, stick with your failing marketing efforts while they're failing because, hey, maybe a, like life will just turn around and a miracle will happen. And this is why, to me, the core question is, did we get more activity this month than last month? Can't even do day-to-day. -day, it's too bumpy. Some firms actually month-to-month -month is too bumpy. You might have to look quarter over quarter. If the numbers move up every month and every quarter, compounding will do amazing things for you when you let it compound. And then, as you said, just as long as the numbers are moving up, let compounding happen and, and wait for the miracle to show up because just it is the nature of compounding. Like if you let compounding happen, miracles happen. It's it's. <laughs> It's why, it's why we call compounding the eighth wonder of the world. Well, and then uh, I guess to follow through that reasoning, then essentially if the numbers aren't moving up, at some point they stall out or stop, then it's a little bit like a chemistry experiment where you just kind of go in and start to isolate variables to try to determine what's different. Well, and to me, one of the things that's amazing about sort of this world of doing content and digital marketing. And, and I'll admit, like, I think it's certainly the thing that hooked me into the medium as, as a way to pursue growth is everything is measurable. 
I mean, story like you install Google Analytics and you get this first perspective of just how much creepy information Uncle Google knows about you. Like the amount of data you can get is just unbelievable. So on the one hand, me a slightly creepy reminder about the internet, but from the, from the business end, from the advisor and from the growth end, it gives you lots of feedback systems. So like I can measure are my marketing efforts having more reach? I couldn't do that in the newsletter world. Like a lot of us for years did drip newsletters where we send these things out to people once a quarter, but I have no idea how many open them. I have no idea how many look at them. I don't know how many shared it with their friends and that when I send this, when I send this newsletter to this one client, it actually got seen by 30 people because he loves it, takes it in and makes everybody in his office read it because he loves our stuff. I can see that on the internet. When I run a content site, I can see who opens the emails, how many times it gets forwarded, how many times those people open it, when they click on it, how many people show up and read. And so I think there's this effect that happens in most marketing where you do it for a while and it's not working and you're trying to figure out, is this actually a failure or is it just not working yet? And when you do this in the digital realm, most of that question goes away. Because I can see exactly what's happening in the activity levels and either they're growing, in which case I know this is just a yet problem because compounding always produces the miracle eventually, or it's not. And if the activity really isn't growing, then I know I actually have a problem to try to fix and address. And then once I decide I want to fix things, the data holds up again. Like you want to see if it works better if you send the email this way instead of that way? Great. In the marketing world, we call that an A-B test. You send half the people using version one, you send half the people using version two, you see which one does better, and then that's the one you do going forward. So you can start A-B testing pretty much anything you want to test, and there's all sorts of tools and technology out there that help with it. And you can really begin to figure out what works, what moves the needle, how do we make the growth happen faster, how do we make the compounding happen faster, how do we start driving more results. And so I think we've, hopefully by now, we've convinced anybody listening that it does make sense for them to consider some form of content marketing, whether it's as a firm, as, a, as an advisor. And I know that one of the pushbacks that we'll get, and I, I live in the broker-dealer world, the independent broker-dealer, but the broker-dealer world, one of the pushbacks that people are going to give us is, well, my compliance department. But I can tell you, at least from my experience, They'll work with you in figuring it out. It's, it's really not nearly as bad, at least, at least where I am, as it used to be. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of this has moved in compliance departments. And some of it just gets down to what kind of content are you trying to produce and over what time schedule. I mean, look, if you're trying to produce stuff that goes out like immediately when you write it, this is not going to work very well with your compliance officer because they want to review and do their process. So, you know, Trying to write about cutting edge breaking news stories, probably not going to work well on your platform. But let's face it, at the end of the day, you're not going to out news Bloomberg and CNBC and the rest anyway. So I would argue that's not even a fruitful path to try. You're you're not going to out, you're not going to beat news organizations at being faster to the news. So the next question is like, well, what else am I going to write out? Well, I can write about investment-y stuff. My compliance department, again, is going to have a lot to say about that. But again, like, are you going to out investment commentary, CNBC and MarketWatch? Probably not. Probably not an ongoing basis. You know, I, I am a fan of communicating to your clients periodically just your investment commentary, right? Like as, as the expert that you are relying on, here is my view of what's going on in the marketplace and what the opportunities are. So maybe that's like a monthly or a quarterly commentary that you write. But that's a broad base. Here's what happened over the past several months. So again, I don't need this to be super timely. Like write it, send it to your compliance officer, let them hack and slash it a little, whatever they're going to do, get to a finished thing and put it on your website. Like that's, that's fine. Right. And, and what we're doing, I believe is we're in the business, not of information. They can get information on the internet. They can Google it. Uh, hey, they may read you for all I know, get lots of information. But a big part of what we as advisors are tasked with doing is sharing wisdom. That is the application of the information. And I think that's the kind of thing that we can fairly easily get through the compliance department or, or uh, those other things. And I mean, even as our platform has grown, it's, it's part of the mantra of, of what we have with our team. You know, like even when news 
break stuff happens. I'm like, I want to add my two cents on this. I'm never going to be first because I can't beat journalist organizations that have 50 people that do nothing but this. I can be best though. And I won't be the best at everything for everyone, but I can be the best at taking this piece of news and translating it into perspectives and insights that are relevant for the people I am trying to write for. My audience, my target clientele, the kinds of folks that I want to reach. My Our platform is a little more complex because we reach a lot of different types of people with different businesses. But you know that idea of don't worry about being the first or the fastest just try to be the best at sharing whatever perspective you have to share with the people who most need to hear it from you that you understand better than anybody else. And that's what lets you make something that is better and more relevant for them. If only it's because, hey, you saw that news story. 92% of that stuff doesn't apply to you anyway, so you completely forget about it. Here's the 8% that actually matters. Let me boil it down for you. Right. And, and I heard said somewhere that so a lot of people can talk about a particular issue, but there are some people who will only listen about it from you. And you may not know who they are, but you resonate. You sound the same. You have the same kind of talking points, or you, you speak like them, or you just you get one another. And they'll listen to you that they wouldn't listen to maybe somebody on Bloomberg or, or CNBC. And I think there's, I guess, that little bit of imposter syndrome that everybody deals with if I'm not going to out CNBC, the pros, and that's true. But there are people who, when we get around to it, will actually pay attention to it and listen to it because it's from us. Well, and again, the distinction, you're not going to out CNBC at what CNBC does, but you can out CNBC what you do, and you can out CNBC your clients, what's meaningful for your clients. And, and that to me is ultimately the distinction. Like you're not going to be a media, you're not going to beat a media company being a media company, but you can be better at translating news into insights and wisdom as an advisor. And you can definitely be better at translating news into wisdom and insights for your particular clientele who you know better than anybody else. And you only write and focus on them. Yeah. It's like the Moneyball version of content marketing. You build a team that you can run with and win with. And it works in part because just we have a fundamentally different business model. Like CNBC works because they get tens of millions of people on their website every month. So they can make a couple of nickels every time someone sees or clicks on an ad, which means they need a bajillion people to show up on their website because they only get a nickel or less every ad in order to make the math add up. Our advisor world is different. I can have a wildly successful practice with 100 great clients. Heck, I can do it with 50 great clients. Like just take, take your A clients, make 50 of them, get rid of the rest. You'll probably make drastically more with far less work. So when all, most of us only need 50 great clients and CNBC needs 50 million, we get to produce content and share wisdom and insights in a completely different way because I only need 50 clients, which means if you're just going to do like the old 10-3-1 rule, like... If I only need 50 clients, I only need 150 prospects. If I only need 150 prospects, I only need 1,500 people on my mailing list ever in my target market to get the practice of my dreams. And so when you say, what can I write that would be awesome enough that 1,500 good prospects would sign up so 50 of them become great clients, life gets a lot easier. Like you're not writing for 50 million. You're writing for 1,500. And so one of the questions that I get a lot is really dealing around fear. You know, the fear of what do I talk about? How would you address that? So the short answer is if you're trying to figure out what to talk about, answer the questions your clients and prospects are asking you. Like, that's it. If you look at what we write even on our platform today and what we've written for years, 90% of the articles we write are simply things that people ask me and they ask me so many times I got tired of answering it one off. So I just wrote a dog on an article to answer for everyone. And now when people ask me in the future, I just send them the article. And I don't even have to answer. For sure. And you want to get people to your website. That's a good way to do it. And I've done that with our blog a handful of times where it's just kind of like, yeah, we wrote something about that. Go check it out. Or if you want to know what our process is or what we think, you know, you're not going to get some answer off the top of my head. I, we actually put some thought into it and, and I'll, I'll let you know. You just start taking whatever questions and issues your clients are asking you about and respond to them. 
Like that's that's really all it actually comes down to. I think a lot of the time we make it way more complex than it needs to be. The one sort of asterisk or star that I'll 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 tag to that is most advisors in practice have very broad practices. They have a broad range of clientele because we all came from the same world where in the early days, if they can fog a mirror, they're a prospect and you just take anybody you can possibly get and you end out with a zillion clients. Then maybe at some point down the road, you begin to figure out how to winnow it down. And and the reason why this distinction matters is like strictly speaking, the, the best content is not answering the questions your clients are asking you. It's answering the questions your best clients are asking you. Right. There are clients who ask me questions, but if I make an article on my website to attract more of them, this doesn't help. I actually don't want more like them. I didn't actually want them. I just feel bad about getting rid of them now. And so what this really evolves into is who is the ideal client you want to go after and what are they asking? So if you have some of them as clients, what are they asking? If you get any of them in prospect meetings, what are they asking? If you really want to get focused on them, just go out there into the marketplace and try to figure out what are their problems and issues and what are they asking so you can start start writing articles to answer it. You again, I find for so many advisors, we get concerned about that focus because we see all the people we aren't going to get, right? If I you know just write articles for this one type of client, what about all the other people that come to my website? And on the one hand, who cares? You only need 50 great clients. And the reality is like, unless your problem right now is, well, my website is giving me a continuous flow of new clients and I'm afraid to turn any of them off. Okay, then maybe be careful about your content. For most advisors I know, it's like, how many new clients did you get in the last year off your website from a cold inquiry? Zero. Okay, so if we made your website more targeted, how many clients would you not get in the coming year that you used to get? Well, you can't do worse than zero. So what exactly is the risk here? Or you can't do worse than one. The exercise I give some advisors, and you know, for folks that are listening to this, they can try this out. First of all, if you don't have Google Analytics installed on your website, go install Google Analytics or have, ask your website nerdy person to do it. It's very straightforward. They should be able to do it. You know, Let data collect for a month and then go in and look at the data. So the first thing you're looking for is what are called visitors. Visitors on your website are how many unique human beings showed up to your website in the past month. And Google Analytics will show you three core numbers. Visitors, which is how many people. Visits, which is how many times do they come. So if they come to your web, if one person comes to your website twice, that's one visitor, but two visits. And then what are the page views? So how many pages did they look at? So if I come to your website once and I look at a page and I come back again, I look at two pages, one visitor, two visits, three page views in total. So just focus on the visitors, human beings. So I find for most advisory firms, and there's actually been a couple industry studies out there around this, most advisory firms, you've never put any particular time and effort into your website, will probably have something like one or 200 unique visitors that come to your website every month. See that pretty typically, you know, half a dozen to a dozen a day. So if you get, let's just imagine a hundred people that come to your website every month. And I'm going to assume for pretty much everyone, the number of those people who turn into clients was zero. Like we're not getting, we're not getting clients rolling in off our website. If we were, you probably weren't listening to this podcast. So when we don't see them because it's digital, right? I'm not like watching my computer to see the, the, you know, the, the, the hits show up. I don't know this. So put it in a real terms for a moment. Your, your website is like your digital storefront. So put this in physical storefront for a moment. Imagine for the next month, you sit in your office. You sit in the front lobby of your office. And every day, half a dozen to a dozen people walk into your front door, look around, and leave without doing anything. And it happens every day, all month long. And by the end of the month, 100 unique human beings walked into your front lobby looked around, gave you a polite little nod, and then left and never came back again. So if your current problem is 100 people show up in your website and none of them do business, now imagine for a moment you put a sign above the mantle in the lobby that says, we specialize in doctors. Now, if 99 of the 100 people who come in aren't doctors, they're going to walk in, see you specialize in doctors, and walk out the door. 
Except the reality is they were already walking in and walking out the door because you weren't compelling in the first place. But if one of those 100 is a doctor and comes into your lobby and is like, oh, you specialize in doctors? Well, I'm a doctor. We should probably talk. Your conversion just went from no prospects to one prospect. And the challenge I find for most of us advisors is we're so fixated on this idea that if we write, we specialize in doctors, we're going to turn off those 99 people. And we forget that the 99 people already weren't calling. They were already walking in and walking out, right? I mean, if you just think of it, walking down the street, like how many people do you pass on the street who ask you to do business because you pass them on the street? Not many, zero. So, you know, if I had a giant sign above my head that I said, I specialize in doctors, I'll bet you at least one person in a city block will actually stop you and talk to you because they're a doctor and they're like, you specialize in doctors? That's cool. And I've never actually seen someone put their sign above their head. Like we should talk and just, It creates connections. It won't create connections to everybody. Most people will think you're weird, but they weren't doing business with you anyways. The people you want to reach, though, the moment they see that thing that says you work with people like them, they're like, oh, wait, you you work with people like me? Like, we should talk. And, And suddenly a connection gets created. And so, Michael, one of the questions that I had from one of my partners, because we had a conversation and I said, well, if you could ask Michael one thing, what would it be? I think that if I had posted it on Facebook sooner, there's no telling how many people would like to ask you one question. So I want to tell you again how honored I am that you'd spend time answering a whole bunch from me. But one of the questions that I got was, we've touched on this, but I'd be interested to get kind of a more direct answer. How do you see or how do you turn the content into revenue? It was easy to see when you were in the newsletter business. You write the content, you sell a subscription, you get $150 every time somebody buys. How do you see that uh, now? What, what are the expectations? How does it turn into revenue? So it turns into revenue. So just in terms of my business model in particular, it actually turns into revenue a lot of different ways because I'm involved in a lot of different businesses now. And, and in part, that's actually a deliberate strategy that the more we found our website readers wanted to do business with stuff I was involved with, the more stuff I got involved with that may be potential solutions for our readers. So revenue for me might be you're a consumer, you come read one of these nerdy articles that I produce, you usually come to a conclusion that something the effect of, holy cow, this is way more complex than I realized, but this dude seems to know what he's talking about. I'm going to see if I can get him to help me directly. And we get a prospect inquiry. And so consumers sign up for our advisory business. And again, because of how we frame the content, you know, we write deep, nerdy, technical content on advanced topics for affluent folks. So most people don't want to read this, just people with a lot of affluence who are smart individuals, which I consider to be some of our ideal prospects. And so the average client that comes on board for our advisory firm is about $1.7 million dollars. So, you know, graduated fee schedules and the rest, that's probably a fourteen to $15,000 uh, uh, revenue client. And so in a world where each new client is a $14,000 a year fee, it actually doesn't take very many clients for this to become quite profitable as a business and revenue generation opportunity. You know, we also have a business called New Planner Recruiting. So New Planner Recruiting helps advisory firms hire para planners and associate planners. If you never hired one of those folks before and like you don't know how to pick the good ones from the bad ones or you don't know how to pick the ones that are going to stick with you for the long run or you've hired some and you get a bunch of turnover and you try to figure out how to do that better, that's what we do. Now, running a recruiting process for a professional staff member has some costs. We typically charge about seven to $10,000 for a placement depending on what we're working on. You know, it's about 15 to 20% of, of first year salary, which is typical in recruiting world. Someone that reads some of our content and says like, actually, I need help hiring. And Michael's got a business that does this. And I'm really picky about my partners and who I work with to make sure we have good people that are going to do good work. That's someone that's going to hire us for seven or ten, seven to $10,000. We run XY Planning Network. XY Planning Network is a turnkey financial planning platform for advisors that want to start running, grow independent RIAs charging financial planning fees to people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. So we're very popular with advisors in their 20s, 30s, and 40s who just want to get paid financial planning fees for giving advice to their peers and not have to sell products or do asset management or the rest. XY Planning Network members pay about $5,000 a year. 
great value for what they get, you know, uh, all the technology you need to run your firm, compliance support, registration process, practice management tools, coaching, consulting, all this different stuff. But from a business perspective, that's a $5,000 a year member that joins us. So the interesting effect that happens, I think particularly in a world like ours, granted my business model is a little bit broader because I'm not only going after clients, I'm going after clients and some businesses that we have for advisors as well. But again, like we're not in the CNBC model. I get a nickel for every person that shows up. So I need like 50 million of them to get a decent revenue. We're not selling cupcakes for $3.95. We're living in a world where if I get 10, like if I get one client a month off of that, one client a month throughout the year is almost $200,000 of new revenue annually recurring. And in practice, that when we measure this across our website and all the related businesses, last year we did about $2 million of new revenue, like actual new dollars that people are now paying a business to do business with us entirely because they came to the blog, they read some stuff, they said, this is really helpful. I wonder if this guy has any other solutions that can help me. And we like, we don't even advertise the stuff that we do. But if you dig further, like there are some buttons that say for consumers, for advisors, like you can, you can find out more about what we do if you want to find out more about what we do. And there are people that go down that rabbit hole and then they engage one of our related businesses because we have a solution that's helpful for them. You know, because we only need literally like 0.1% of all of our readers to ever do business with us and our whole business works because we now get several hundred thousand people who come to the website every month. You know, we literally live in a world where my goal is to give away everything we do for free to 99.9% of people because the 0.1% did $2 million of new revenue last year and it's growing exponentially every year because compounding doesn't stop. Right. Uh, Well, and I would think, so for the advisor sitting in an office, one of the things that I heard was maybe have a couple different ways you can get paid. You know, maybe diversify your service offering to some extent. I would actually caution that when you're getting started. That works well on the back end. Right now, we've grown a large platform, and so we've added and diversified the revenue streams. But for the first, like, literally five years that we ran it, it was basically only two revenue streams. Sign up for my newsletter or have me come out to speak. And that's because I already did them when I started the platform. So I, like, that's, that's what I was doing. And really, that was one service with just two different ways to buy it. What you were buying was, Kits, this is a nerdy financial planning dude to share some helpful nerdy financial planning insights. If that would be helpful for you, <laughs> you can either read it or see it live. And that's what we built our brand around. And that's what we became known for. And so, yes, the ways that we monetize have kind of broadened on the back end as it's grown. But frankly, I think the, the challenge that people get into a lot of the time is they go too broad too quickly. So like if you, the analogy I like to tell, so like imagine you're planting a seed. So if your seed branches out as soon as it breaks above the ground, we call that a bush. Usually grows to about a foot or two and that's it. If you plant a seed that doesn't start branching out until 10 feet above the ground, that's a tall tree. If you plant a seed that just does nothing but grow straight up for 50 feet, you have now planted a giant redwood. <laughs> and so the challenge I think that a lot of us have is like we plant seeds dreaming of redwoods, but the moment we break ground, we branch out like bushes. And the moment you branch out like a bush, you stop growing higher because like the physics doesn't hold. You can't be a really wide bush and be 50 feet tall. Uh, and so be careful not to branch out too early. Like the longer you let the tree trunk grow, the bigger the tree you can grow. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, I've never heard it put that way. So uh, it is, I, I can't imagine now I can't get the, the idea of a 50 foot tall bush out of my head, but it, it is that uh, coming down. That is not going to stand very long. <laughs> I hope our folks caught that because I, I think that uh, that's a great business lesson for anybody who's getting started or or trying to grow. Michael, if you were a newer advisor, somebody looking to get started, we like to be an action-oriented podcast. And so something that our listeners can go out and do 
today to begin the process or improve their process of you know creating some credibility using content what's one thing kind of as we wrap up that you would suggest people do first so i'll i can't quite give one i'm going to i'm going to give you two cuz they they kind of go together so so step 1 is if you do not already have google analytics installed on your website install google analytics on your website because frankly, anything you're going to do from a marketing perspective, if you literally don't have the means to measure the results, you're never going to know if it's working. So install the store, install the scorecard. So you know if what you're doing is working. <laughs> then the second thing that I would encourage you to do is start doing something. And the most straightforward start doing something is, so whenever your clients ask you questions, it could be in an email, it could be in a phone call, it could be in a client meeting. Whenever they ask you questions, say, I got a question about blah, whatever it is, write down the questions you're getting. You'll probably start noticing some patterns. Certain questions come up often, more often than others. At the end of the month, take the most, most common question you got and create a piece of content around it. So that could be an article. If you want to write an article, here's a question that came up and how we handle the situation, our perspective and insight. If you're better talking instead of writing, like do it as a video and put it on YouTube and embed that in your website. If you just like chatting, do it as a podcast, like lots of choice about content, whatever manner of delivery is most comfortable for you, but take the most common question that month, answer it in a piece of content, put it out there on your website and send it to your clients and prospects. Repeat that process every month for 12 months. Look at what's happening with your Google Analytics scorecard and see if the compounding starts. And I can pretty much guarantee you it's going to. Well, and I think we've talked about this before. The best kind of content is the one you'll do, whether it's videos or writing. or. And so I would say to our listeners, you don't have to be pigeonholed into one of them. I, I started out personally writing, and over time, it was just something that it took a long time. And, and what I really like to do, whether it's with our client facing or in, in this case, is, is I like to talk to people. And so this has become uh, an interest in a medium of mine. And so do the one that you'll do. Remember what Michael said uh, about compounding. That's a great way for us to really visualize and remember that our content is going to compound just like our clients' investments. Michael, thank you for spending time with us today. I really appreciate you being a guest. My pleasure. Thank you, Chip, for having me and congratulations on getting the podcast going. Absolutely. Well, listen, if you've listened to anything, K-I-T-C-E-S.com, go to kitsis.com. You can find Michael there. You're welcome to reach out to me in uh, the Facebook group or you can email me, chip at sigwealthpartners.com. We'll be back at you again in a couple of weeks, and I look forward to talking to you soon. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com scorecard now. Subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at MaximumAdvisor.com.